Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Good to have a little bit of Christmas in June. That was beautiful. God grant us peace. Very, very good. Thank you so much. And the choir is going to share one more song with us as we close the service. And I know, for, I know I can speak for the congregation how much we appreciate and thank the Lord for the gift of music that's shared through our choir ministry all year throughout the year, and especially the Christmas and Easter and our special services. Knowing that today was our choir uh, favorite, um, you can all relax now. I know what you're thinking. Sermon time is quarter two, right? 18 minutes to, okay. Um, it's okay. I, I plan a short message for this Sunday because I know that um, we want to include the music and the music. We've already heard God's word to the music, amen? And so we're just going to continue that for just a few moments. So for this sermon, when I arranged the schedule, I made sure we just have two verses to cover today. Philippians chapter 3 um, verses 10 and 11. So if you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, the only problem is, as I got to studying this some more, um, this is an hour sermon, uh, two verses. <laughs> but it's okay, we're not going to do that. So, but I, here's the deal. If you listen carefully and follow and pray the Holy Spirit will open up our hearts to God's Word, I'll keep it to, right to the point. And, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, they were told when they came to God's law, know to do, know it to do it. And that's my, that's my heart's desire this morning, that whatever we look at in God's word, when you leave this place today and we go out into our world, that we will do these things and we will do this in our lives. So let's pray. Father, we open your word now and we continue to open your word. We thank you for the gift of music. Lord, we thank you how... It draws our hearts toward you. And Father, we pray as we continue just to meditate on your word now, we will continue to be drawn toward you. Bless our children, young people. Father, I thank you for these teachers and leaders who love them so much and prepare each week, both in Sunday school and children's church, our youth program. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for those teachers and leaders and bless their ministry now to their hearts of these children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, 3, and verses 10 and 11. So if you listen carefully as I read this, if you follow along, you'll see what I mean by, boy, there's a lot here. Wow, there's a lot in these two verses. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Right? 15 minutes, huh? (laughs) Boy, that is a powerful section of Scripture. And I want to just, in order to put it a little bit in context, Pastor Gary preached to us from the previous uh, passage last week. And so I think let's read it once again, beginning at verse 8, because most of the people who study the the Greek New Testament and are experts in that suggest this is one long sentence. So we need to read it again from verse 8 on to kind of connect it to the context that Gary spoke on last week. Verse 8, what is more? 
I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, or as Gary suggested, maybe the faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And the Apostle Paul, whose heart's desire, I mean, you can just, doesn't his heart just bleed this, if you will? His heart's desire is to know Christ, to know Christ. This is the same apostle who persecuted Christ, who was confronted on the road to Damascus and says, I saw the resurrected Christ. I was the last apostle to see him. Uh, it, although one born out of due time, but I saw him on the road to Damascus. And the Apostle Paul says, my desire, when all is said and done, is my desire is to know Christ. And coming from Paul's Jewish background, from his Hebrew background, there's a Hebraism here. There's, there's a Hebrew thought here in that the word know in the Old Testament clearly means relationship. It doesn't mean just a mental or cognitive understanding of the facts. It means to know in a relationship. If I said to you, listen to these beautiful choir music, well, I know this choir. I, I know them through our relationships. I know you. Uh, you, you know, this understanding that we, we come to know some, something or someone in a way that it's because of our experience and our relationship. And this is what Paul is saying. I want to know Christ, and I don't want to just know about Christ. And friends, that is never our goal on Sunday morning or in our Sunday school and any of our teaching and our leading here. It's not just to know about, but it's to know to do. To know to do. And, and this is what Paul says. I want to know Christ personally. I want, to, I want my life to be consumed with the understanding and the, and the relationship and the experience of knowing Christ. I want to know Christ. And I want you just to make sure you understand that it's not knowing just about Christ, but to know Christ in a very close and personal manner. This should be our goal for all of us. This should be all of our heart's desires to know Jesus Christ and to become personally engaged and personally encounter him so that we, we can say we are getting to know him every day more and more. And we connected it to verse 8 and 9 and this long sentence. But how do we get this knowledge? I mean, it's one thing to say, I want to know Christ. I could say that to you. My goal is to really know Jesus Christ. You could say it to me. But how do you do that? How do we get to know Christ in, in that type of experiential way that we can say, we know Jesus Christ. We are getting to know him better. And it's becoming our consuming passion is the thing that motivates and, 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 and changes the course of our life. In the little things, not just the big things, but in every manner of our walk. How do we do this? Well, Paul tells us here in these, in these verses, this is, this is a very important aspect of knowing Jesus Christ. I want to know him. And you notice what he says. I want to know him. And I think we can almost say, we can almost connect it linguistically wise 
in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul says, I want to get to know him in this way. I want to get to know Christ in the power of the resurrection and the sufferings. It's very interesting. The word, this, this word that's used for resurrection here, this is the only time in the New Testament this particular word is used. Uh, it's a little, it's, it's a combination and it means, it really means the out resurrection. The out of resurrection. And I want to know Christ in that out of resurrection. I want to know him better through the resurrection and his sufferings. How do we, how do we get involved in Christ's sufferings? How do, how do you suffer with Jesus Christ? How is it possible that my knowledge of Christ could grow and become intimate through, through the, the, the power of his resurrection? I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I didn't see the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. I didn't see him in his resurrected form as the apostles did, as the 500 did. Paul says, 500 at one time, big crowd, saw him at once. How do we get to know him? How is it possible that his suffering, his resurrection is something I can come to know him through? Well, friends, this is a very, very important principle in the New Testament. It's very important. I need you to think about this for a minute. You know, when, we were, when I was a kid, they, you know, the old phrase, you know, put on your thinking cap. So I, I went back to try to, uh, nobody knows where they came from. <laughs> where did it come from? Now, I know some of you are going, I'll, I'll get some email this week. No, no, I know where it came from. But uh, you might, you might. But it's like there's some really obscure old English and then a, something that came out of Wisconsin, believe it or not. Um, I've never seen a thinking cap. I, I've seen a dunce cap, right? I've seen pictures of that. But, you know, put on, think about this. Think hard about this. What is he saying here? What possibly is Paul getting at here? Well, I want, we're going to look at three, we're just going to look at three verses real quickly that, 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 um, encourage and influence this thought that's really, really important in Paul's theology, if you will, Paul's teaching about Christ and about our relationship to him. Let's look at three passages. First, we're going to look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we're not going to study this in detail. I just want to point this out to you. I want you to notice this very, very important passage in Romans chapter 6. Paul says after his discourse on, on being alive in Christ, uh, through, his, through, through Christ, he says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Evidently there was a misunderstanding in the church of Rome that the more you sin, the more you, you, God showed his grace, so you're doing God a favor. Paul says, no, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know? That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We believe these are spiritual acts. I mean, look at, look what's happening here. You were baptized, you were placed into, you, you were placed into his death. We were therefore, now look at it, Paul says this, buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, you notice he doesn't say, we too may resurrect someday. He says, we too may live a new life. Paul says, listen, this, it, it, yes, it's a bit mystical. I understand that. It, it, it's, it's a pretty heavy thought. But Paul says, when Christ died, I died. I was placed in the tomb and I rose with him 
so that I may live now a newness of life. Why? This is what we call being in Jesus Christ. I have been placed into Christ by the power of God when I became a Christian. This is a very important thought in Paul's theology. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Look at Galatians chapter 2 in your Bible. And then Paul's letter to the, the church at Galatia. In Galatia chapter, Galatians chapter 2. Whoops, we get past Corinthians here. Just before the prison epistles. In Galatians chapter 2. At the very end of the chapter in verse, look at verse um, 20. Same thing. I have been crucified with Christ. Well, wait a minute. Paul's still alive. He's still right. No. He says, I was crucified with Christ. He took my place. That's the whole point of it. He took my place. I was crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, Gary talked last week about how this phrase here, this preposition, faith in the Son of God, can also be faith of the Son of God. And we apply the same principle to this verse here. We can say, I live by the faith of the Son of God, of Christ, who loved me, gave himself for me. Listen, Paul says again, I died with Christ and I don't even live anymore. But I am living because Christ is living through me. Yes, I understand. This is a challenging thought, isn't it? But it's at the heart of our message, the gospel of the grace of God, that we are in Jesus Christ by his love, grace, and mercy. And then finally, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians, also another prison epistle, chapter 2 and verse 9 to 13. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is a head over every power and authority in him. Now notice, you were also circumcised, not a physical act, but referring back to the Mosaic law, what, what puts you into the household of God. You were circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not a circumcision done by hands. We're not talking about a physical act. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, and raised with him through your faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. So once again, we have this clear affirmation by Paul. We have been crucified with Christ. We have been buried with Christ. And we have been raised with Christ to newness of life. This is being in Jesus Christ. Yes, it's a, it's a deep thought. I understand that. But it's true. It's the reality of what it means to be in Christ. But listen, friends, we have become one with Christ. And thus we have already been united in his death, burial, and resurrection. So therefore, back in Philippians, can we not say that maybe Paul is speaking along these lines here? When Paul says, as I read, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Maybe the focus is not so much on the physical sufferings, though that's part of Philippians. But is he referring here, along with these other epistles, this important biblical truth, that we are in Christ, and we can know him through being crucified, buried, and risen with the Lord Jesus Christ, and to become like him in his 
death. He's expressing his desire for his current experience to match the reality. That his current experience will match the reality of what he is. The reality is, I have been buried with Christ and risen with Christ. I crucified with Christ. Does my life experience now match that? Is it what, do I live the way that this, that this says? Do I match up to this? What I'm teaching, what I'm saying here? Is this how I live? So therefore, going back to Philippians to wrap this up, here's the key, I think. The key is, in the King James Version, okay, in this particular case, because we kind of miss something here in the NIV, I think, where he says, in verse, where he says, at the end of verse 10, becoming like him in his death. I like with the King James, how it translated, how it translates it, being made conformable unto his death. Conformable. What's the root there? It's the word Form. You've seen that word already in our study. Because it was a very important word back in chapter 2. Go back to chapter 2. It was a very important, this is a verbal usage. It's a verb, so it's a little bit longer word. But the root there is the word we looked at a few weeks ago. Morphe. To morph, right? To become, to form. Remember what we read in chapter 2, verse 5? Your attitude. Your attitude. My attitude, Jim. It should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Whatever your name, put it in there. Your attitude should be the same as Christ. What? Who being in the very morphe form God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But look, he made himself nothing, becoming what? The very Morphe of a servant. I think this is the key. Paul has told us, Christ, who was in the very form God, the very essence God, made himself in the very essence a servant. And now Paul tells us in chapter 3 that we are to become conformed Morphe, the same root in this verb. What? We are to become formed to his death. How is that possible? I think it's possible because he's already told us and he tells us throughout his epistles, I died with Jesus Christ. I've been risen with Jesus Christ. It's true. Therefore, my life right now should be conforming what Christ, who was God, conformed to a servant, I am now to conform to Christ. Does that make sense? You don't look too convinced. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So what does that mean? What is the heart and soul of this? What does it mean to be, to, to share in Christ's sufferings, And to become like him in his death, it means simply this, I believe. I am to be like Christ. I am to be a servant. My life is to be one that conforms to his death, which has now been my death, because I've already died in him. He tells us that. So therefore, I am to live what I already am. I should be conforming daily 
As Christ conformed to become a servant, I am conformed to become like Christ, which means I am to become a servant. I think that's the key here, friends. If we were to live our lives serving Christ and serving others, we are daily conforming to the true experience of having died and risen in Jesus Christ. How do you serve? Who do you serve? Do you consider your occupation, your profession, whatever it is, do you consider that a service? Are you serving somebody? Or are you just working and making money? Doesn't, doesn't Paul tell us, do all things to Jesus Christ? If you live in a neighborhood, an apartment, in a community, you have neighbors, are you serving those people? Are you serving our greater community? Are we as a church, as Jesus Christ, we, 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 we sing, right? We, we listen to the choir sing to what true evangelical faith is supposed to be like. It's service. It's doing what Christ did. It's in love serving and giving. Are you doing this in your own family, with those closest to you, with your own children, with your own spouse, your own grandparents, your, your parents? Are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ? I think, as I read this passage, and, and, and some of the authors connected this thought of morphe, of, of transform, of conforming, that Christ, who is in the very nature God, took on the very nature of a servant, and has asked us to take on the nature of Christ by being conformed to his death. And then the last thing he says is, somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And all the authors that I looked at this week, they all made the point, this is not a doubt. This is not a perhaps, because Paul's already said we've been resurrected with Christ, right? But that this is a, a statement of humility, that somehow I could conform to, the, to his resurrection, that we can somehow in our life say, we are daily conforming, and someday it'll finally reach its completion and its goal when we are called to be with him. I think that's the important part of this. Listen, friends, as it closes, let me just say this. Knowing him, being conformed to him, we know him experientially as we allow his life to transform our life. Christianity, one of the authors said, is not a matter of slogging it out in the trenches, but of resurrection power of victory and of joy. And I just read this and our choir will sing their last song. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says that I pray you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. That is the power available to you and to me to truly live a life transformed to the death of Jesus Christ and to serve as our Lord Jesus Christ came to serve. John, 
come and close with our final song and choir. God bless you. Thank you so much for your ministry, for sharing God's word through music with us. Um, and we look forward next fall to seeing all of you again and some of you who want to join the choir. I get asked every so often, how do you get in our choir? How do we get in the choir, John? Come and see me. Come and see John. All right. <laughs> and, you know, can we talk in that language? Can we talk in that language this week? It is a better world. Can we help make this a better world by talking the words of our Lord Jesus Christ? What would Christ say? How would Christ respond? How would Christ serve? Maybe we can do that. And maybe we can talk in that language. Father, we thank you for a place to come. We thank you for the freedom we have to come and worship as we please. Lord, we thank you for your love for us, your goodness to us. We thank you for the gift of music. We thank you for the gift you've given to your saints throughout the ages. To write words, to explore music to allow us to lift our voices and sing and to listen and be transported to a, a better world for those moments we do so. And we talk in that language. We can, we can do that, Lord. We just read that we have the incomparable power of the resurrection at work in our lives. We can talk that way. We can love and serve that way. And we can lift up the message of the better world, of the hope through Jesus Christ and redemption. Thank you for each person that's joined us. We look forward to gathering next week for our Sunday school classes. We thank you for our teachers who work hard all week, Lord, to prepare our lessons for our children, youth, and adults. We look forward to joining for one more month for Sunday school and joining for worship again and for the activities of this week. In Christ our Savior's name, all of God's people can say together. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Talk in the language of Canaan this week. Shalom. <laughs>